Hello and welcome to Quick Looks from the Long View. This is episode number 11. It's being recorded on Monday, December 21st, 2015. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at a few new titles. We're going to be taking a look at Burgle Brothers. And we're going to be taking a look at New Dawn. And finally, we'll be taking a look at Lords of Zidit. So as always, tonight uh, we have uh, my co-host uh, Lloyd uh, say hello as, uh, since this is so close to Christmas, why don't you say hello as Santa Claus? Hello! Ho, 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 ho. Jeffrey, have you been a good boy this year? Oh, what can Santa bring you? Something that's not quite so creepy, I'm thinking. Um, it was an excellent Santa voice, but uh, all the same, I was kind of a little weirded out by it, i got to admit. Um, but uh, thank you very much. Uh, Lloyd, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And tonight we also have a, another uh, special guest uh, that will be joining us for uh, tonight's episode. Uh, rounding out the trio is uh, Carter. Carter, say hello. Hello. I do not think I can say hello as Santa. No, no, I don't think that would work. Maybe I you could say it as an elf. Could you say Could you say hello as an elf? Could How would you, you say hello as an elf? I don't know, but you have a bit of an elf-like quality to your voice because you're so young, so you could just kind of talk in your normal voice and you would sound like one of Santa's elves. Okay. I don't know if I would take it as an insult or a compliment. <laughs> you can take it however you want, son. So, anyway. So, Carter tiny E now means tiny, tiny, tiny Elvis tiny or elf. tiny elf. Tiny there we go. Or, yes, exactly. <laughs> So uh, tonight, uh, the three of us are here because we're going to be talking about uh, um, a few different games tonight. And uh, the first one that we want to talk about is a brand new title. Uh, this came out just a, a short while ago. It's called Burgle Brothers. This is by Tim Fowers. It uh, was released in 2015 uh, for one to four players. And this is a game that's recommended for ages 12 and up. It says it plays in about 90 minutes, which is about accurate. I'd say 60 minutes once you kind of know what you're doing, especially since uh, the game is rather difficult and challenging. So sometimes the games can end quickly. They can. If you make the wrong choices <laughs> and we lose really badly, yeah, it can be over pretty fast. Absolutely. Absolutely it can. So uh, this is a game that uh, I had written uh, to Tim about once I uh, heard about it. Uh, I, of course, was a huge fan of his earlier game, which was... Um, uh geez what was it it was paperback. Oh, paperback yes paperback um that is still to this day the only word game that i actually like um and so when i heard that he put out this new game um that kind of had this theme of trying to be sort of like a team of cat burglars you know uh, a specialized you know co covert team that's going to sneak into uh, an office building or sneak into a, a secret location and try to crack open safes and grab you know sensitive documents or rare treasures or whatnot and then get themselves out of there uh by helicopter i thought okay <laughs> this is totally me so uh, i wrote to tim and he was kind enough to send a review copy um you know for in the interest of full disclosure there um and so uh, when i grabbed it uh you know opened it up read through the rule book uh, really easy to follow, very clear rule book, and played it first before I played it with Lloyd. I played it with the family. So it's one of the reasons that I wanted to ask uh, Carter to join us tonight. So Burgle Brothers, basically what you have is you have a game that uh, comes with uh, a lot of beautiful components. It's this tiny little box. Um, and I have to admit the box annoys me a little bit. Uh, it's the same exact size box as Paperback. And boy, did Tim shove a lot of stuff in that box. Yes. Um, there are beautiful uh, little kind of individual meeple tokens for all of the different characters that you might play, all of the different sort of specialists. There's a hacker, there's uh, a safe cracker, there's 
all of these different kinds of, of people that you can be. Uh, there's almost like a clairvoyance. Yeah. Um, there's there's all these different kinds. There's a mastermind kind of like a, a looking sort of character. And there's a lady with a crow because if yes. you're going to pull off a heist, you need a lady with a crow. You need a lady with a crow, yes. <laughs> you definitely need her. And so, exactly. She, she alerts you when the, when the security guards are going, caw, caw, caw. Anyway. Uh, that's with the psychic's ability. That's with the psychic's ability. Okay. <laughs> so you've got all these cool characters and rather than just have generic meeples or meeples just just of different colors they're actually like sculpted meeples in different um kind of poses and heights and shapes and whatnot that actually match uh the, the characters so the acrobats like this tiny little squat little dude you know he's like really small <laughs> and can fit in. he reminds me of like you know from oceans 11 and 13 uh the, the, the little chinese guy who's yeah like the exactly. contortionist you know right. who was able to like you know hide in the box when they rolled him into the safe and all that fun stuff so it's really kind of cool. Like, so you have that. You have these lovely kind of large wooden sticks. They almost look like uh, fences from uh, Agricola, all creatures great and small, yeah. you know, uh, or even just Agricola for that matter. Uh, they're all natural colored. And then you have uh, a bunch of tiles, uh, thick, nice, thick cardboard tiles. And then you have uh, a whole bunch of tokens uh, that are all different kinds of, of shapes and sizes for the different types of elements. And then you have a couple of large kind of wooden meeple-looking pawns that are in the silhouette that looks like a, a police officer, or in this case, a security guard. And so you have these lovely chunky meeples. Uh, and then you have a bunch of cards. Um, all of this uh, comes together. And what you basically do is the rulebook kind of gives you uh, some guidelines for how to set up different kinds of scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, the intro scenario, for example, is this office building. And what you're going to do is you're going to lay out these uh, tiles in a grid, uh, basically in a square shape. And each of the grids is going to represent a floor. So in the intro scenario, there's only two floors, okay? But in uh, the regular game, there's three floors, okay? And what you're trying to do is you are trying to work your way through the buildings trying to find two different things you're trying to find the stairway which gets you to the next floor and you're also trying to find the safe and the reason you're trying to find the safe is because you have to crack the safe in order to you know get what's inside because that's kind of like your mission and so the team is going to start off kind of you know somewhat blind if you want to think of it that way uh, they're going to start off on the first floor the team gets to kind of select which kind of uh, point is going to be their point of entry. And there's a little token you can put on there to remember that, okay? And then uh, what's going to happen is it's a co-op game where everybody's either going to win together or they're going to lose together. And the real sort of uh, hook to this game is that if any member of the team gets snagged by a security guard, then the whole team loses, okay? Because the security guards will then alert the police and then, you know, the, the, the jig is up and everybody the will be caught. The jig is up. If, however, you can manage to crack the safes before the security guards can snag you and then find the staircase on the top floor up to the roof where you will be extracted by helicopter, okay? Because that's soft. Because that's it, it is. It's very quiet. Then that's going to uh, <laughs> signal that you've won the game, right? So uh, the players are playing against a very simple but devastating AI. And the AI is the security guards. And so what you have is this grid of tiles in front of you, but they're all face down. And it's an action point allowance kind of a game, okay? You get to take, I think, it was, what is it, four actions. Four actions, yep. And so on your turn, you're going to take your character and you're going to do one of a few different things. You can peek at a tile that is adjacent to you, 
but not through a wall. You can't see through a wall unless you're one of the characters that can actually see through right. the walls. You can uh, kind of peek at it, reveal it so that you know you know what you're walking into. Or you can simply just go forward. You can just walk forward and walk into the, the next tile that's directly adjacent to you and whatever happens, happens. Maybe something good, maybe something bad. You don't really know because you're kind of going in blind. The other thing that you can do is if you do find the safe, one of the things you can do is uh, you can spend two action points on your turn to what's called add a die to the safe. And this is an ingenious thing that he came up with. So there's going to be a tile on every floor that is a safe. And that tile is going to be in a row and a column. It's going to be at the intersection of a row and a column. And that, of course, will change depending on the random nature of the layout. What happens when you find the safe is you also have to reveal the rest of the tiles in the row and the rest of the tiles in the column. Each tile in the game, okay, regardless, has a little number on it. And that little number in the corner tells you the combination, one of the, one of the numbers in the combination of the safe. So if I'm looking at the safe tile, I'm looking at the tiles above it, below it, and next to it, and on the other side of it to see what numbers I need to roll in order to crack the safe. So for two action points, you can add a die to the safe. And then for another action, you can roll it. When you roll the die, any number that you roll that matches one of the numbers in the row or column that you need, you put a little token on because you've you found that part of the combination. And so what players are going to be trying to do is add more and more dice, and the safe cracker gets to add an extra die. And you're going to try to add more and more dice so that every, every time somebody tries to roll the dice to crack the safe, they're rolling multiple dice. If you can ever get all of the numbers in the row and the column rolled, you've opened the safe, you get to go to this neat little pile of cards, and you get to take a piece of loot. And that piece of loot is going to be usually something, it can be something that's good, or it can be something that kind of hampers you. Like I know on one of the missions we went on, Carter, didn't we find like a like the Mona Lisa? We found like a painting? Two of the missions. Two of the missions, yeah. yeah. The walls, <laughs> You can't lose, like, air vents or something like that. Yes, you can't use like, the air ducts. One, yep. no, it's just, like, women being moved in by one or something. That might have been the Mona Lisa, too. No, that wasn't the Mona Lisa. There was one that we got that was, like, a, a rare gem or something, and everybody was one. trying to steal it from you or yes, something. Yes, like I had, had that one. And when you get the rare gem, you may never have somebody pass through, or you are not allowed to go onto a tile that has another player. Yeah, something, yeah, yeah. And, and so they're something all different. Like that. Yeah. yeah, so. They're all different, which is really kind of cool because you've you've kind of accomplished part of your mission, but sometimes now you're operating at a handicap. Yeah. And so that's really kind of cool. All right, then you have to get up to the next floor, and then you have to do the same thing all over again, all right? But in order to get up to the next floor, you have to find the staircase. So the staircase is going to be one of the other tiles. That is going to then allow you to go up to the next floor, and then you're going to try and find the safe up there and then crack that safe. And then if you're playing the full game, you got to do it again, yeah, and you got to then you got to get out and and get picked up. So all of that is challenging enough. But then what makes it even more challenging is the guards, because the way the guards work is if, is if you can imagine this grid of tiles laid out in a, in a sort of a square shape in front of you, um, what you do is is there's a, a deck of cards that corresponds to uh, each floor that you're going to be using. And what you do is you flip a card. That card is going to give a set of coordinates that is going to show you where the security guard is going next. And the security guard starts off with a base movement of two, I believe, yep. Okay, on the first floor. Three on the second floor. 
and I think four on four the third floor, which third is like floor. insane. Yeah. So that security guard is whipping around up on the fourth floor. And then there's other things that will make the security guards accelerate, which makes things even worse. But anyway, right. so uh, you flip up a card and it might say like C2 or something, or you know, it'll, it'll show you a, a grid, a location in your display that tells you that's where the security guard's gonna go. He will follow the shortest path that he can to get to that point from wherever he is. Once he arrives at that destination, you're going to flip up a new card that's going to tell you his new destination. So you never know exactly where he's going to go. And if the security guard ever enters a location where you are, or you enter a location where there's a security guard, you have to give up one of three little, they're called stealth tokens, that you're given at the start of the game. So you can discard a stealth token to basically hide and move through wherever security guard is or allow a security card to, to pass by you without noticing you but if you ever run out of those tokens and the security guard comes into the same place where you are then you're out of luck you've been snagged and the game is over unless you're in the bathroom unless you're in the bathroom yeah <laughs> yeah the bathroom is a location that kind of has like hide tokens in it so you're like hiding in the stalls right you know? there's three hide tokens because there's three stalls right there's three stalls and three, <laughs> there's three the stalls and three hide tokens right? <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff so there's all kinds of neat theme in this game because you're really trying to dodge a security guard but you're in a cramped area and because of the walls you're sometimes funneled into areas and you can't like get out of them you know if you're at the end of a long corridor and the security guard's walking down that corridor, there's nothing for you to do except cough up a token if you have one and try to get past them because otherwise the game's over. Or you can use my favorite item, dynamite. Yes, you can use dynamite and wall. blow a hole in the wall, yes. But like, doesn't that set off alarms? It sets off an alarm. True, but if you, it, it sets off an alarm when you all. So if you set off an alarm when you all, then run out of the room, then you can. Then you get the security yeah. guard distracted, right? Which is another really interesting point that Carter brings up, which is. There are many things in the game that will set off what are called alarms. Each floor, uh, there are tiles that represent different kinds of traps, motion sensors, heat sensors, lasers, fingerprint uh, you know, recognition. Like You can't even enter the room uh, unless you roll a certain results on the dice because it's like a fingerprint uh, keypad or, yeah. or something like that, right? So there's uh, biometrics, that's the word I'm searching for. So there's all these different kinds of traps, there's all these different kinds of surveillance and security measures, and if you ever kind of trip one of those, then what's going to happen is it's going to set off an alarm. An alarm does two things. Number one, it immediately accelerates the guard. So the guard is going to go one faster than the guard would normally be going. So if he's moving at two, he now goes three. If he's moving at three, he goes four, etc. And the guard is going to divert from wherever he was supposed to be going towards the alarm. Once the guard gets to the alarm, the alarm's deactivated, and then he will resume his course towards where he was going in the first place. So one of the cool things about the game is that after you've played it a few times, you start to understand that sometimes setting off alarms is a good thing because it will divert a guard's attention somewhere else while the rest of your team sneaks by which is really kind of a cool part of the game, but very difficult, very difficult to pull off. So the other thing that you can do is you can split your team up. Some of you can go like upstairs while some of you stay downstairs. And one of the reasons to do that is because if you are upstairs, then on your turn, the guard upstairs is activated, but the guard downstairs is not. The guard downstairs is only gonna be activated for the people who are still downstairs and vice versa. 
And so you can kind of divide the attention of the guards, if you want to think of it that way, um, to kind of keep them on their toes. They're going to move less, which means they're going to be moving more slowly, if you want to think of it that way, which means you're not going to be flipping up that new card all the time to see where you know the guard's going to go and, and possibly get you in trouble. So you have to deal with all of these security measures. You have to deal with tight quarters. You have to deal with an unknown place. You have to try to find the safe. You have to try to find the stairwell. You have to avoid all of the traps and dangers. You have to crack the safe and then you have to get up to the very roof and get yourself extracted. So this game is really thematic, incredibly difficult. Of all the times that we've played, I've won once. It was funny. We won, I think, on the second time or the first time that we played. And I don't think we've won since then. <laughs> I haven't won it yet. Yeah, it's a really unforgiving game. It's it's really difficult and challenging, but it's still fun. Mm -hmm. Like everything about the game is fun, and everything is thematic. the The tools that you can find, the tre you know the, the the treasures or whatever you want to call them that are in the safe, add flavor and are interesting. The way the security guards move and the way they move faster as you go up on the floors makes it interesting. Oh, and by the way, as soon as you crack a safe. That ups everybody's speed on the remaining floors. So as you... It's your floor and everything yeah, below every, it. Yeah, your floor... I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, your floor and everything below it. All the guards will speed up, which kind of forces you and funnels you to keep going up, 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 up and trying to get out of there before you get snagged. And so there's all kinds of tension in the game, all kinds of decisions to make. Uh, because of the random nature of the AI, there's no real alpha gamer problem with this one because nobody knows where this guy's going. So it's extremely tactical, really difficult to kind of puzzle out, but really a lot of fun. So um, this is a game that you know I have been just really incredibly impressed with because I really enjoyed Paperback, but I... I always wondered, like, did I enjoy it so much because I hate word games and this is one that I actually like? But this is a co-op, and I love co-ops. And so for me to find a co-op that I really dig this much in a field that's very crowded with co-ops that I love, like Flashpoint and Pandemic and stuff like that, that really kind of says something to me because this is a game that I'm happy to play anytime. The components are beautiful. The thought behind the game, it's, it's extremely thematic. It's beautifully um, engineered. Like the, the, everything about the game really works well. And so this is a game that I really, really enjoy. Um, Carter, I wanted to have you on because you were one of the first people to play this with me. So can you kind of uh, tell us a little bit about what your impressions were and what you thought of Burgle Brothers? Um, I love the game, to be honest. Um, I really like the game, and, um... What's probably your favorite part about it? My favorite part is I love the cards. They'll, they're, you get them so little, so they're always new cards. They're pretty much always new cards, because there's, no, I'm not going to say a big deck, but there's at least, like, I think at least 15, and at both least, decks. Yeah, 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 at, yeah least. at least. I think it's like 25 or so. I'd, I'd have to look at the, the contents. But yeah, yeah there's, there's a good... But there's a good amount, and every single time you get a new one. So, like, you could get dynamite, and the next round you can get something completely different. And I love the cards. So it's just like every single time I just get something new. Right, right. So that yeah. keeps it fresh, right? Yeah. So what do you think about the game? Like, you know, we talked about the fact that, like... Um, we won either the first or the second time we played. I posted about it on Twitter. Like it, I had, we had all our people 
up on the roof, you know, as yeah. we were getting ready to be extracted. But we've kind of like gotten smacked around quite a bit by this game. It's not an easy game. Does that bother you in this one? Are you okay with not winning it as as often as maybe other um, games? No. To be honest, I think one thing. Didn't you not put like there's two sides to the card I noticed. Right. There's one side and there's another side which has like some some people in stealth clothing, I don't know, like all black or something. I don't remember. Yes, yes, but, that's the characters. You're talking about the characters, yeah. right? They have there's two different sides. Where they have black clothing, right? Or they have regular clothing, right? And so you're saying like we haven't played with the advanced characters with the super yeah, special and when I look at the advanced characters it seems like the the like kind of special abilities or greater or better. Yes. So to be honest, I think that will make the game a little bit easier. Yeah, you're probably right. So yeah. it kind of has a difficulty setting to it too. It does, yeah. That's, that's it a good point. Because it has the characters and it has the full level and. Right, right. So it's kind of like if you're really bad at this game, you can set like the easiest, <laughs> right? Which we haven't done yet. Yeah. But if yeah. you're really good at it, you can set the floor to maximum, have free floors, have your character on the non-stealth side or whatever. Right, right. And you could just. You'll probably lose, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's a really good point. Um, and we haven't, honestly, we haven't played with that yet, have we? We haven't done yeah. the special, the flip side of the characters, right? Yeah. And that's that's an interesting thing. So, you know, you might want to take that into consideration with this review. We've played this game a lot, but no, we have not played with the other side. And I think it has to do with the fact that, like, I almost look at that as an expansion that's in the box. And I'm not bored with the base game yet. Like, I'm still having fun with the characters on their non-flipped side. Yeah. You know, because they still have special powers. They still have special abilities. But uh, Carter's right. I think they're they're a little amped up and a little bit different on the sort of advanced side where they're all dressed in black and they have, like, you know, the, the traditional burglar-looking kind of attire on. Yeah. And so that might actually make the game a little bit easier once you know what you're doing because these people are a little bit better at what they do, right? Is that kind of your point? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you don't mind that the game is hard because you feel you can sort of set the difficulty levels the way that you want to set it, right? Yeah, because... If the game's hard, you just make it easier. If the game's too easy for you, then you just make it harder. Right, right. Okay, all right. Um, is there, what do you think about the characters? Like, are there any, you know, because we talked about so many of them, like, uh, you know, the, the sort of, uh, it, it almost looks like, you know, Karnak, you know, the guy's got like a turban on like Johnny Carson used to. Yeah. He's the guy that he can peek at the top card. Of he's the, a psychic. Yeah, he's like the psychic. He can, he's what we call the psychic. He's called the psychic. Okay. <laughs> so and anyway. his special ability is what we call buoyance. Right, right. So he can exactly he can so. look at the the top card of that where that uh, security guard's going to go, and you can either keep it there or he can bury it at the bottom of the deck. Like if it's going to be a devastating place, and then you have uh, the the lady who can sort of peek through the walls and, and sort of reveal. Hawk, isn't it? Is that the hawk? Yeah, yeah. could be the hawk, so. right? And then we have, of course, the safe cracker, right? Mm -hmm. Who's there? Who just gets extra abilities to safeguard? We have the hacker who can hack the security systems, and so as the hacker kind of goes through, he's he's almost like immune to all of the security. Yeah. So whenever I get the hacker, I just went straight into something because you only really have to peek at it because if it's like a motion sensor, like as soon as like or something like that, like as soon as you walk in the room, you get caught or something. The hacker doesn't really trigger that most of the time. He doesn't really trigger it, so you can just mostly just run through the tile and kind of clear the way for everyone else. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of expose stuff. I think that the hacker is is kind of like immune to, 
uh, everything I think is he, uh, he's is he immune to the cameras? Uh, he he still gets seen on camera. He still gets seen yeah. on camera, but, but like I the, think the he's thing, immune to yeah. the uh, the lasers, the fingerprints, the, the lasers, the motion, motion sensors, the heat, and the heat. Yeah, yeah the heat sensors. Yeah. So yeah, he's really useful, right? Yeah. Um, and and there's just so many different characters. Uh, do you have one that's kind of your favorite? I think the hacker. You like the hacker, right? Okay. I've only gotten the hacker once. Okay. And I never got again that. Could yeah, I kind of like the hacker. The acrobat's cool too, and of course the safe cracker is really, really nifty. But uh, the hacker's nice because, like Carter said, he's like a Wasn't trailblazer. Was the safe cracker called like the Peterman or something? Yeah, the Peterman. Yeah, <laughs> he's the Peterman. I don't know. I don't know what Peterman. It must be some sort of inside thing that I don't it's understand. It's a grifting term. I it think. might be like a grifting term. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because all the names of the characters sound like these classic grifting names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, almost like the, the sort of classic burglar kind of movie mm-hmm. and, and the classic tropes. So. Oh, yeah, I remember one. Like, it, it, it kind of seemed like a joke of how it explained how if you were not on the same floor, the guard did not move on the bottom floor. It was just like, in a movie, if the time only moves when the camera's on you. Yes, yeah, yes, you're right. Someone like that. It does say that. Yeah, it's yeah. Like time only yeah, trying to explain why the guards don't move if. Uh, you're not on that floor, and and Carter's exactly right. It says something kind of funny in the rule book, like you know, well, you know, just like in the movies, you know, if if you're not on camera, then nothing's happening, right? Uh, something like that. So that was kind of cool. Um, so we we agree we like the challenge of it. We're not too bent out of shape about it when we lose. Um, I love the variable setup. I love the fact that you can customize the game like carter said like you can add more walls if you want to make things even more difficult or if you want to make it easier you can remove walls because that gives you greater freedom of movement to kind of evade the guards right um you can add floors you can do all kinds of neat and interesting things to kind of customize the game and and tailor the game to meet your needs but at the same time i think it's always going to be challenging don't you yeah yeah so Lloyd, what you said to the easiest setting? Right now we're having difficulty winning on the kind of the medium setting. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah. So if you said the easy setting, there's still a chance you'll lose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's always a chance you're going to lose at this yeah. game, um, which is one of the things I kind of like about it. So Lloyd, what are your impressions of this one? Well, this was one that once again I managed to find it on Kickstarter. Right. And I had actually kickstarted it because you had mentioned that oh, it's by the same guy that did Paperback, and I like playing Paperback. Right. So I checked it out, and I was just so impressed with uh, the artwork. Yeah, and, the artwork. We haven't talked about that. Yeah, the, know, the, the artwork is great, and just the the play style of it sounded very much like you're playing a heist movie. Yeah. And that's what drew me to it. It's just the fact that it, it's totally dripping with theme. Everything that happens in this game, you can totally explain how it happens, you know, by referencing, like, any one of your favorite caper movies. Well, right, yeah, right. of course that's going to happen. You right, know? like Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible or, or, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Or, I mean, it's even got the, uh, it's got the yeah, there's secret, a secret door. It's got secret yeah, doors. Right. It's like Clue, you know, <laughs> the movie where you're falling in the secret door yeah. and, you know. Yeah. It's, and you can't get out of the way. You can enter through the secret door but you can't leave the room with the secret door right right yeah, yeah. yeah you, you can enter it mail. yes yes but you can't get out it's almost like uh you know in the indiana jones movie you know with the fireplace <laughs> yeah with him and sean connery um yeah yeah, yeah. really really kind of uh, nifty uh, i'm glad you mentioned the art because the art is really spectacular on this again it's the same artist i think that did paperback i believe it is and the card art is awesome um i love the tiles the tiles 
what's really cool is the backs of the tiles look like the blueprints of a building. They do, yeah. You know, with the little symbols for doors and hallways and whatnot. And then on the flip side, rather than showing you like a little diagram of rooms in an office or something, they're just these large kind of uh, colored, brightly colored tiles. So it's yep. easy to kind of, once you've played the game a few times, oh, this color tile means it's this type of security thing, you know? Um, and they're, they're, the font is really large, very yeah. easy to read. And so the you don't kind of get like a, a map of a floor when you flip the tiles. It's, it's, not, it's a little more abstract than that, but you get, you know, like it'll say, um, you know, like a vestibule or it'll say, you know, the bathroom, you know, yeah. it'll show you a little picture of the, the three stalls or it'll say security camera and it just shows you like a big picture of a security camera. I think the, the tile's red or, yeah. or or something like that showing a, a you know, a picture of a, a security camera. So you, it's not like you're seeing a security desk and like people there. It just says security camera and with a picture of the camera in that great kind of art style and so the board i find as you're revealing the floors is incredibly easy to read which i really really like because i you know sometimes i think with art direction if you try to go into too fine a detail then like the walls like the rooms don't match up right or you're like well i'm not supposed to be in an office building i thought this was a bank you know you don't have any of that problem with this. No, you really don't. Because it's just kind of the name of the tile, a basic kind of illustration, and then like what it does in really large font, which is awesome, especially for old people like me who uh, need helps to see. So, yeah, I really like the graphic design of it quite a bit. So this is a game that, you know, I really think is, is a winner. Um, it's one that I'm going to keep in my collection. Uh, as much as the box kind of bugs me a little bit because it's really hard to get everything back into it, <laughs> Um, which is a nice problem to have. Yeah. Um, it is nice that it doesn't take up a huge amount of shelf space, but it's really a kind of a gorgeous production of a game for such a little box. And, and it, the box looks great. The box is like a building. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. We, <laughs> and then we like, always say, like, as soon as we got to like the helipad, you put it on top of the building, we'll have like, the H on the helipad. Right, right, the H for the helipad. You're absolutely right, and yeah. And it literally looks like an office building. It does, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's true. You see, the, you see the, the windows and whatnot, and it does. It looks like an office building with, like, you know, big kind of posters on the side that, you know, someone has put up there as advertisements and whatnot. And so, yeah, yeah, that's another good point. It becomes part of the game itself, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, just kind of aesthetically. It doesn't, like, have a functional purpose. But Carter's right. You know, it looks like the building that you're kind of supposed to be in. And then you've got that helipad. And, and there's nothing better when you win. And I've won once. Yeah. <laughs> Stacking all those <laughs> dudes on the helipad. Where you put your dudes on the helipad. You're like, get us out of here. Um, so that's, like, really cool. So um, it sounds like, you know, so Carter, do you recommend this game? Is this one that you really enjoy? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, it's one that I definitely do. Lloyd, how about you? Oh, I would totally recommend this. And I'm always up for playing it, just like you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely... Right now, it's sitting at about an, an eight, eight and a half for me. Yeah, easily. It's really, really high up there for me. Um, most of my co-ops, I rate like a seven and a half or an eight, if it's really, really good. Uh, this is like an eight, eight and a half. Like, this is, this is kind of like my co-op of choice at the moment. I really enjoy this one. So, uh, those are our thoughts, and that's our review of Burgle Brothers. So next up we have another game to talk about. Uh, this is a game called The Lords of Zidit. 
Uh, this is uh, actually a game that was released in 2014, um, published uh, in North America and distributed here by Asmodee. Uh, the designer is uh, Regis Bonasse, I'm guessing. Um, and then we have artist of Xavier Duran and uh, Stephanie Gantier. Um, so this is a game that uh, is kind of, it's got that same sort of art style as Seasons. And basically what this is, is a fantasy game. And each of you is a Lord of Zidit. And what you were trying to do is you were trying to ride about the countryside and recruit heroes so that you can go and defeat these monsters that are threatening uh, the various locations and cities of Zidit. And whoever does the best job of kind of moving about, um, recruiting the heroes needed uh, to go and join them as they lead them into battle against these uh, you know, threats against the city uh, or perhaps titans that are getting ready to rampage across the countryside is going to become sort of the defender of the land, the savior of the land, and the greatest of the lords of Zidit. And so this is kind of like a really neat sort of a, a sort of a thematic kind of a fantasy sort of a game where uh, you are basically using programmed movement in order to move about this board and then uh, trying to take actions that are going to help you sort of defeat these threats that are going to be randomly distributed around the board. And so uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the art and the components. Uh, the art is beautiful in this game. Uh, the tiles are, you know, this nice thick cardboard depicting different kinds of creatures and threats. Um, the board itself is very beautiful. There are these heroes that you are basically trying to recruit who are going to be helping you in your quests uh, to defeat these kind of creatures and threats and monsters that are attacking the countryside. And there are all these little uh, plastic minis. Um, and they're all sort of different depending on what they are. So in many ways, this game kind of reminds me a little bit of Lords of Waterdeep, wouldn't you say, Carter? Yeah, because you're, you're trying to recruit different kinds of heroes, right? You're trying to recruit mages and clerics and fighters, right? And there's, um, I think, I think this is the scale from kind of zero to one. Okay, first is the, like, villagers. Yeah, the, pe yeah, the, the peasants. Then the ultras. Yep. Yeah, peasants, ultras. Then there's, like, I think the warriors now. Yeah, yeah, the warriors, uh-huh. Yep. And then there's, um, mages. I mean, and no, clerics and then mages. Clerics and mages, right? And, and, and I think the colors are like... You have like the brown, and brown, then you have like the, the, green. the green for the archers, and you have the white for the clerics, and the purple, I think, for the mages. Yeah. So there's all these different colors, and each of the, the sculpts for each different class is unique, which is really kind of cool. Um, you also have these big, beautiful sort of... Um, action selection dials right so rather than kind of like putting like little markers on a mat or something saying what you're going to do first then second then third you actually have dials and you set the dials to the action that you want to take in the order that you want to take those actions and so you set your dials and the dials uh, you can set to either move so you follow paths between the cities and the paths are these little dash dotted lines right or when you're in a city, you can take an action. So you can take a recruit action where you can recruit a hero. But you can only recruit one hero from each city uh, that you visit. So if you want to recruit another hero, you have to leave and you have to come back from that same city. And this is a lot of the tension in the game because just like Lords of Waterdeep, at its heart, it's really what I like to call a recipe filling game. Wouldn't you say, son? 
Yeah, it's definitely kind of a less compelling game. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to find the right combination of heroes so that you can go and defeat the monster uh, and basically claim the reward, right? Though you also, along the way, you also might want to get that kind of spell people. So you don't, like, button it. You kind of, like, if you're there, you might as well get the faucet. Yes, yes, that's very true. Yeah, you definitely want to do that. And then there's a lot of tension because I don't know where anybody else is going. And so what can happen is I can sort of program my turn to move along a blue path, move along a yellow path, go to that city where there's an archer that I need to recruit. But, you know, Lloyd's also within range of that city. And if he goes there, he'll recruit before me. And if he recruits that archer, that's the only one in that city. And then I'm really stuck. So maybe I want to try and look at another city for an archer. Um, and as Carter was saying, the different classes... You always have to recruit, like, the lowest-ranked person first. Yeah, like I said, from zero to, like... Right. So if there is a peasant, you got to take a peasant, right? If there is, you know, a archer, you got to take an archer. If there's a warrior, you got to take a warrior before you take a cleric, before you take a mage. And so this actually makes it really difficult sometimes to recruit people, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, because, like, if you get there too soon, you have to recruit, like, some dude named Chuck with his pitchfork, right? Yeah. If you get there too late, you might miss out on who it is that you really needed. And so there's definitely like a timing issue in this game, right? Where you have to time your actions so that you're arriving at the right time to get the right person so that you can then travel to the right city and turn in those adventurers, basically, in order to defeat that menace. And so it's a really, really interesting game. Um, the program movement dial is awesome because it's, you know, you can set it up and you can kind of visualize your whole turn, but you can also sort of make intelligent guesses about where everybody else is going to go and what you think you they might be trying to do. You also have to kind of remember do. or try to, try to re think of like what they have behind the screen because you have no clue how many people they have. You have right. no clue if they have like an army worth of people or they just have like one singular person yeah. right just, just like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna poke you with my pitchfork that's uh, right <laughs> or if they have like five mages and right six clerics or yeah you have to try and keep track of that don't you right yeah. because that's also going to uh, really inform your decisions based on where you're going to go because if i know that you carter have what's needed to defeat the uh monster that's threatening this particular city then I know, I have a pretty good idea, you're probably going to go there, which means I can go over to this other city and recruit this person I need. But then you might just decide, no, I'm going to swing over there first and grab that extra person before I go over to that city. And I'm like, you know, curses, foiled again, right? And so you never know exactly where anybody's going to go. And the way the game works is as soon as everybody has set their action dials, you reveal your action dials and then you resolve your orders one at a time on your action dial going around the table in turn order. And so Carter will take his first action, then I take my first, then Joanna takes her first, then Lloyd takes his first, and then it's back to Carter taking his second. And there's these nice little tracking tokens. Nobody else likes them but me. You guys are always getting rid of the tracking tokens, but I yeah, like them. I, I, I don't like them. I like um, them. So <laughs> you're point of like trying to like at least guess or memorize like kind of what's the kind of armies they have. Or right. You also have to kind of think about there 
how's this mechanism? Well, it's basically you're trying to get the amount of I don't remember what kind of what it's called or something. It's like these circular tiles. Yeah. And you place them on there to get like points or something. I don't know. But there's this central kind of central thing. Yeah, that's the scoring tracks, right? The scoring tracks, yeah. But there's this central building or like a tower. Right. And if you get if you get any of those, um, I don't know what the they're the mage are. towers, right? Yeah. No, not the mage towers. They're the other points you can put in there. Well, you have your mage towers. Well, okay. Well, what Carter's talking about, we might as well stop and kind of talk about it a little bit. Is he's talking about the scoring mechanisms of the game, and the scoring mechanisms of the game is really, really an interesting part of the game. But it's also probably, in my mind, the most controversial part of the game. Because basically the way the game works is you are going to be ranked in three different categories. So there's a central tower on the board where you're going to be putting these sort of influence chips in, right? And whoever has the most in there is going to be eligible to win, right? Whoever has the second most or third most is going to be eligible to win, but whoever has the least is out, yeah, they won't. And then there's mage towers, and it's it's a majority kind of a thing. Like, whoever has the most mage towers are these cool little stackable towers that you can put on the board as you move about and you take your different actions. Whoever has, you know, the most is eligible to win. Whoever yeah, has second like most. Yeah, what I like about the mage towers is you can only play three in one location. Because if everyone goes to one location, like, puts, like, six mage towers there... Then it's kind of gonna fall. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's so just gonna fall. It so. definitely has a, a limit to it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And so you have like these these mage towers, and whoever has the majority in that is going to be eligible to win. Second place eligible to win, etc. But whoever's in last place, you're out. Yeah. So there's this triple layer scoring system. And what, what's interesting is every game, the uh, order of those is going to change in how you assess them. So when the game is over, you're going to look at that first scoring category. And if you are last in that, you're out of the game. It doesn't matter how well you did in the other two. If you're last in the first category to score, you're done. And then you check the second one, and then that's going to eliminate somebody. And so basically what's happening is you're eliminating players from contention of the possibility to win until you get to the very last scoring category. Then you're going to take a look at that, and that's going to determine the winner. And what you kind of, this is kind of an advantage in the game. You don't want to focus all of your efforts on like some sort of, um, like the last scoring right. in the game. What you don't even have, like, you have, you can't even, you can barely or can't, or you're gonna get last in the first scoring. Right. So there's no point in, like, being the best at the last scoring because right, you'll right. already be eliminated by You'll that. already be eliminated. That's absolutely right. And so there's this kind of really interesting sort of balancing act that you have to do throughout the entire game in order to try to make sure that you are going to be eligible to win. Because if you're not eligible to win, it doesn't really matter how well you did. And so there, it's a really sort of a fascinating kind of mechanism to determine. Um, you know, so you kind of have like that reputation tokens that the bards sing of you that go in that central tower. And then you have your treasure, your gold, uh, which is a scoring condition. And then you have the mage tower. So, and oh, those yeah. could be in any order, right? Yeah. And speaking of the reputation tokens, that's why I was kind of talking about the tower. Yeah. The thing about the reputation tokens is you, they can be placed in a certain area or location in the board. But right. they can also be placed, if you're near one of these, in the main tower. Right. The main tower, basically, it's kind of like this box kind of shape. Yeah, it's hidden. And it's hidden. 
so you can evolve. You kind of have to remember or at least have a guess on how many reputation tokens are in there. Like, I immediately like, put four in there at the beginning of the game. Right. And when no one was, like, really paying attention to me at all, because I don't know why everyone was just, like, focusing on something else. Right, right. Because I was, like, last, and everyone's focusing on what they next. So I just took advantage of that, and I put four in there. No one noticed, and I won that. Yeah, you won the game. Yeah, yeah, you won because of that. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's really kind of an interesting and fascinating scoring mechanism. But it's also uh, the part of the game that lost my wife. Your mommy did not like this at all. Like, she was just like, you know, I spent all my time making sure I got mage towers and making sure I got gold. And because someone had, you know, one more mage tower than me, it knocked me out in the second scoring. And it didn't matter that I had the most reputation tokens then because uh, all that effort was wasted because someone had one more gold than me. And I didn't know how much gold they had. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. so. I think it can lead to some sour grapes, definitely. And I don't want to make my wife sound like a bad sport. That's not really it. I think it's just that that notion of player elimination is not something that's really common in a lot of uh, Euro games uh, like this. And so I think that's something that just kind of took her a little bit by surprise. You know, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Cleopatra and the Society of Architects. That's a game where... Um, you basically take your actions or you can take extra powerful actions by kind of dealing with shady characters and whatnot to get your supplies. Yeah, and then you have, take, yeah, you have to take, yeah, you have to take corruption tokens, right? Yeah, you have to take corruption. And, and you put those in your little pyramid and whoever has taken the most corruption tokens at the end of the game loses. Like you get fed yeah. to the alligators. And this was kind of the same sort of a feel here where, you know, if you don't score well enough in that first category it doesn't matter if you would have won on the second and third categories hands down you blew it on the first category so you're out of the game and then it becomes you know who survives the second round and then who makes it to the third round of scoring and who takes the game from there so i really found the game to be uh really interesting i love the production uh if you can't fight you know uh the uh, monsters that are on the board you can't get the right heroes you can always fight titans uh, when they come out they kind of come out at a certain time in the game when you sort of run out of tokens there's a really nice little uh, mechanism I, I don't want to go into all the details to describe it because it is probably one of the more complicated parts of the game whereby you refresh the tokens and if you ever run out of the tokens to refresh either the city or you run out of tokens to refresh the monsters then you sort of uh, take some from one side, flip them over to their reverse side because they're all double-sided. And then you can activate the Titans. And, you know, there's all these different kinds of things that can happen in the game. And so you always have, like, some different kinds of options, which is really kind of cool. So my only complaint about the game, other than my warning for people who don't like that kind of scoring mechanism, is if everybody is focused this game plays really quickly because it's like we all reveal our action dials and it's like, okay, you take your first action. I'll take mine. He takes his. She takes hers. You take your second. I'll take mine. He takes his. Because they're like micro turns. It's like you pick up your piece and you move it. It's like, that's it. Or you turn in your heroes and you take the tile. Or it's really, really fast. Like the game can move at a really brisk pace. But if you got people who are kind of like, daydreaming or not paying attention or you're like hey it's your turn oh, what oh, what action is this it's your third action take a look where are where am i you're over there come on come on stay with it stay focused stay focused 
if people's attention wanders, the game can drag. And there's also, um, I noticed I was doing this, like, midway through the game or something, but I was, like, as soon as all of the, like, tiles or walls or what you're doing, and as soon as all of the boards or something were revealed, right. I would immediately look at them and see if anyone was going to my area. Then I realized, it's kind of pointless, because you can't change where you're going, you can't. You'll just be disappointed in me. <laughs> yeah, once your action dial is set. You'll just be disappointed in one of <laughs> Yeah, once your action dial is set, there's nothing you can do about it. So, you know, any analysis that you need to do of the board, you know, I think you're right, Carter. Any analysis you need to do with a board, you have to do in between the rounds where you're planning out your move because it doesn't matter if things change on the board necessarily during your turn because you already have programmed where you're going and what you're doing. And a lot of times it's irrelevant to you unless someone goes to a city and defeats the monster token that you were about to go and attack and then a new one comes up in that city and you're like, well, I can't do that one. And so you kind of have to waste your action going to that city and just bypass it. And like, ooh, I can't handle that. And then you like leave, you know, you like slink away in the night. So, um, you know, the, the program movement part and the way the game plays, I think, can be snappy and brisk. And the game can, can be a lot of fun to play as far as these recipe-filling kind of games go. Um, I, I like the theme. I like the art. I love the components. I, I like the way things work. I like the sort of clever mechanisms of how the tiles come out and how you refresh them. Um, I don't mind the scoring, but boy, if you're playing with a group of people that aren't paying attention, the game can go on forever. Now, understand, that's not the fault of the game, right, Carter? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not. it's not saying that Lords of Zidid is bad because of that. I'm just saying you got to be really cognizant of who you're playing with because if you're playing with people that are kind of there for more of a social thing... You're going to be sitting there like, oh, my God, everybody take your fourth action. Let's go. Let's move it, you know. And it, it can it can drag, right? And I think it's the stuff that you can do, like, in between times. Like, this no. like if the game's dragging because someone else is dragging on, it's something you right. can do. Except, like, say... Take your, your turn. turn. <laughs> yeah. so hey, you. Take your turn. Exactly. Yeah. Fifth action. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Exactly. Or you can do it like cautiously. You can make it. You can do it. You can do it. Hey, hey, hey. It's your turn. Hey, hey, hey. It's your turn. So, yeah, you got to be careful of that. Uh, other than that, I think the game is fun. I think uh, I prefer it in some ways to Lords of Waterdeep. Um,. Not necessarily Lords of Waterdeep with the expansion, but the base game of Lords of Waterdeep. Um, I love the minis. You know, that helps me feel that game a little bit more. Uh, I like the player interaction and that, you know, you, you, you don't know for sure where people are going, but you can make an educated guess and you have to sort of um, try to figure out how to time things correctly. I really enjoy that. Timing is crucial in this game uh, for recruiting and for uh, going after city tiles and whatnot. I like the scoring system myself personally. There's a lot about this game oh, that I do like. Oh, and there's also the scoring system with yeah. the monsters. Yeah. You can kind of choose what you get for your scoring. Like, if you notice you're really lacking in money, you can go over to this monster that can get you a lot of money, or you can just take the money section for the monster. Right. Because the monsters always have three sec sections. Usually, like, sometimes one will be really high, sometimes they'll be, like, well-balanced. Right, really low, yeah, reputation. like low reputation but high money or something yeah, like that, something right? Yeah, something like that. And usually, you, you wouldn't want to go to a monster 
that had but that would get you on one reputation point right. if you were going somewhere that you wanted reputation points. Right, right. So I kind of felt if it was like five of some area or one of an area in way with Bannon, I would always take five of that area because then one is not really worth it to me. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the only way that you would do that is if you knew or you had a pretty good idea that you were last in reputation, but if you got that one reputation reward, that would mean you were not in last anymore. Yeah, because right? otherwise one reputation Exactly, right. Yeah. No, no, but yeah. But so money. There's a lot of really interesting, subtle things going on in the game that, that I enjoy, um, but I do think it's important to note those caveats, you know, those cautions about the scoring system and about if you're not playing with people who are staying focused on the game, it can drag. And if it drags, it's not worth it, in my opinion. Um, it's too frustrating. You just have to sit there and wait because, like Carter said, there's nothing else you can do while you're waiting. If someone's taking a long time in a heavy strategy game, there's always something I can be thinking about. I can be planning out my options for my next turn. I can be thinking about uh, what I want to do. Do I want to change what I was doing based on what others have done this round? But in this kind of game, you really can't do that. Your dial is set, so just do it. Um, just do what it is you're supposed to just do. Just do it. Yeah, like Shia LaBeouf. Just don't let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> just do it. Uh, anyway, that's right. Uh, we're, we're referencing. If you really want to see something funny, look up uh, Shia LaBeouf um, doing his motivational speech about just doing it. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> so just do, do it. it. <laughs> So, that little caveat aside, that is our review, Carter's review and my review, of Lords of Zidit from uh, Asmodee. Um, really a, a fun game, great little recipe filling kind of game uh, for two to five players, beautiful production quality, um, designed by uh, Regis Abonase. So, that's Lords of Zidit. <laughs> So the last title up tonight uh, that Lloyd and I are going to review is a brand new game called New Dawn. Uh, new Dawn is a game in the Among the Stars universe. Uh, this is a game that is uh, published by Artipia Games and distributed and published here in North America by Stronghold Games, uh, which is the publishing partner. Um, this game, uh, my apologies in advance, is uh, designed by Konstantinos uh, Kokinis. And Sotirios Santillas. I'm sure I've completely butchered those Greek names. Uh, my apologies. No opas for me. Um, but anyway, um, these are the designers. Uh, the artist, uh, again, is uh, Konstantinos, uh, is one of the artists. We have um, Antonis uh, Papantonikou and Odysseus uh, Stemoglo. So, uh, once again, sorry for the terrible pronunciation, I'm sure, but uh, I wanted to bring up the artist because, of course, just like all the other Among the Stars game, the art in this uh, is quite nice. Um, it's very nice. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. It's a very kind of evocative and really nice art. So, what is this? This is a game that is in the Among the Stars universe, but it's not an Among the Stars game. This is kind of like Among the Stars, the board game. It's yeah. kind of what I would say, wouldn't you say, Lloyd? Yeah, for I mean, for lack of a better term, it it still uses the same square cards that you mm -hmm. have in all mm -hmm. the other Among the Stars games. It has some of the same ambassadors yes. and the diplomats that you have in the Ambassadors expansion, right? 
but there is a common board that's in the center of the table that everybody is playing to. Yes. As opposed to where you're not building your own private space station. You're exploring the same area of space as everybody else. Right, yeah. The and theme that, here is is like, you know, the, the planets that were devastated during this long period of war, you're now going back to these planets and kind of trying to rebuild parts of them, salvage parts of them. Yeah. So you're kind of exploring locations, they call it, uh, as you kind of go through the wreckage of these planets and see what it is that you can sort of resuscitate, resurrect, rebuild. Um, and so the, the board is this really kind of cool, like, you know, like large planet, like a moon kind of next to it. And it's basically a grid. Yeah, and, it's just a giant star field. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what you're going to do is you're going to be able to put cards out onto this grid that is going to sort of expand this world that you're exploring. And uh, you're, you're basically kind of, for lack of a better term, sort of building or rebuilding these locations. And these locations, of course, are going to do things for you. Um, however, there's a lot of fierce competition in this game. And so what's happening is as you explore, you have what's called your mobile headquarters. And your headquarters, uh, you know, all the players start off on one central card and you kind of branch out from there. But you have mobile headquarters. And the mobile headquarters really determines which cards you can sort of interact with. You can always sort of interact with cards that are uh, where your mobile headquarters is or that are kind of uh, adjacent to that mobile headquarters, okay? And so, uh, and you also have the opportunity to build more mobile headquarters as the game goes on. And we'll talk about that in a moment when we talk about the components. But basically, um, you're moving this piece around the board so that you can sort of activate cards that it's on or that are near it or perhaps protect cards that are on it or near it yeah. because there's nothing to say that what I discover you can't come and take from me later that sounds familiar yes yes <laughs> there's a lot of take that in this game this is this is definitely a, 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 a kind of punch each other in the face style of game um, and uh, so what you're doing is on your turn you're going to be playing uh, a card to the board and it's going to be kind of there for everybody to kind of uh, consider. Um, and, you know, you might play a card that you really like, but someone else might be able to jump on it before you. Um, and then you're going to uh, be sort of taking your actions, uh, going around the table. And one of the things that you can do is you have, like, special abilities that you can activate. You can attempt to, uh, you know, take over a location. You can attempt to take a location from another person. You can explore again kind of and, like, reveal new cards. You can also select one of these ambassadors. The ambassadors are basically like personality cards, or if you want to think of almost like role selection cards in Puerto Rico or something, yeah. right? Where you pick that personality, and that's going to give you a special power, ability, or benefit that you're going to use on that turn. And those can only be selected once per round collectively by the players. So there's a lot of competition for those. And then you have these beautiful uh, individual player mats with these... Um, uh, pieces on them that represent sort of like your stations that you're going to build. So you have your mobile headquarters and you have your little stations. And every time you take one of those stations off of your board, and there's three different areas. There's like Marshall, which is red. You have like uh, political, I think, which is uh, blue. blue or something like that. And then and you then have uh, the, the green. Economy, yeah, the economy. Yellow. Oh, yellow. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And you have yellow. And when you take those off and you put them onto the board, you're revealing a value underneath. And that's going to tell you how much sort of military influence, economic influence, and political influence you're going to collect 
each turn because when you go to take over a tile, you kind of have two options. You can pay the influence amounts that are uh, indicated on the card or tile, whatever you want to call it. I think of them as tiles because you're putting them down on the board. You're either going to pay that influence to sort of peacefully take it over, if you want to think of it that way, or you're going to attempt to sort of hostily take it over. And this is where you're going to start to roll some dice. So you have a little bit of dice chucking in this game. And if you can roll well enough at using modifiers, there's like, you know, little modifiers that you can gain during the course of the game, uh, you're going to take it over militarily and you're going to be able to kind of plop your piece down on it without expending all of your precious resources. So there's all kinds of interesting choices to make. Um, there's a lot going on in the game. Um, you know, the, the art is, as we said, like very, very beautiful, evocative. The sculpts for the different kinds of uh, pieces are just wonderful. There was no reason why Stronghold and Artipia needed to make these, you know, uh, plastic kind of, uh, you know, pieces that they have all over the player mats. And, uh, but but they're, they're really nice. And they're great because they're three-dimensional. They stand out on the cards because the cards have really nice artwork. But because of that, I don't want to say they're busy because that sounds negative, but there's a lot going on on the cards. And so if you just put a, a token down on it, sometimes it's a little hard maybe to distinguish a token. But when you've got a three-dimensional plastic piece sitting on it, it's really easy to kind of spot, okay, who has this? Who controls that territory? What are you doing there? Um, so I really, really enjoy that part of it. I think it's really kind of nifty. Um, the mobile headquarters are, are even taller and chunkier, which is cool because you have to be able to differentiate those two pieces. My only nitpick about the components is the fact that the stations that you can build out and put down are kind of rounded. They're kind of like domed and they can be a little difficult to pick up. Like they don't have any kind of a clear <laughs> there really wasn't we they did a lot of like sliding a we, we yeah. slid them off of the <laughs> player mat and then slid them to the edge of the table exactly and dropped it into your hand many times oh yeah 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 so i mean that that's a that's a small little nitpicker gripe um you know I, I still really prefer the plastic pieces to not having the plastic pieces for sure but uh it is like sometimes they are a little difficult to pick up and so that's something that, you know, was just a, a minor gripe. The board is huge, um, but it's kind of nice because it's very functional. Like most of what is on that board is there for a reason. You know, there's card displays of cards that you can take. There's the personality display that we talked about. There's the grid for all of the, the station spaces that you're going to be putting out on. And so the board, while very large is actually quite nice in that it's very functional and really seems to give you a place for almost everything. There's going to be some cards and tokens you're going to have off kind of to the side, but, you know, there's like bank spaces on the board. Um, there's all of these kind of locations where you can plop your stuff and keep everything nice and neat and organized. So I kind of like that. Um, Among the Stars is a big game. You yeah, know, as you build your station, it eats up a lot of table real estate, right? Um, so it doesn't surprise me that the board game also takes up a lot of real estate yeah. uh, because you're using the same size cards. But because we're all building off this central board like you talked about, that's something that really um, is, is fine because you're all working off of that same area. So it actually takes up less space than Among the Stars does, you know, from, from what I can see. So... 
my my biggest uh, kind of concern about the game, my only real concern about the game, honestly, is the amount of take that in it. Now, for players like you know me and you, it's not really that big of a deal. But this is the kind of game that you do have to know going in. You're going to be stealing things from each other. You're going to be slapping each other around. You're going to be blocking. You're going to be positioning yourself very aggressively. You know, yeah. wherever you put that mobile headquarters, you're kind of sending out a signal like, hey, this card or any card around it is a potential target. And so it's an extremely aggressive game. And Among the Stars was kind of not. You know, Among the Stars, by and large, you're doing your own thing. You're building your station better, hopefully, than anybody else. Yeah, and I mean, you have that conflict deck that you can yes. add in if you want that aggressive right, right. game. Right, exactly. But... Anytime I've ever played it, I kind of just leave that out. Yeah, yeah. Because I find when I'm teaching it to new players, it's just easier to do that. Yeah, this game... Yeah, very no, aggressive. it's yeah. got a lot of in-your-face in very it. Very aggressive. So if you're looking at this as, oh, cool, this is a board game version, like they said, of Among the Stars, and I'm going to get the same feel. No, you're going to get a totally different feel. Now, for some people, that's going to be a good thing. That's going to be a feature. But if you're kind of a, a passive-aggressive player, <laughs> or if you're a player that doesn't like aggression in games, that this might not be for you. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking for a game where there's a lot of competition, there's a really interesting spatial aspect to it. Um, and the spatial aspects go beyond the positioning of your mobile headquarters and where you put the cards. There's also this really ingenious little system of there are four bonus cards that you're going to put out sort of north, south, west, and east on the board. And they're going to be sort of randomly drawn from two decks. There's a deck that kind of does north-south, and there's a deck that does west-east. And those cards are bonuses. And when you have a card that you place onto the board, you can rotate that card when you place it, or later there are some actions that will allow you to rotate a card and the cards are either going to have um, on their on their borders, these square cards are going to have like little arrows. And some of them might only have one. Some of them might have two. Some might have three. Yeah. And depending on how you rotate that card, those arrows are pointing at those bonuses. Yeah. And so those bonuses might give you extra influence. Or they might give you uh, these little plus two tokens that you can collect and then add to dice rolls for when you're trying to take something over. Or they could give you bonuses to defense. So if you kind of rotate it the right way, you're defending the station, right? Uh, that, that particular, not the station, but you're defending that location, right? Um, and so it's really kind of nifty the way they've worked that spatial kind of part of it into it too. So you, the, the board is, the game's going to be different every time because the cards are going to come out differently every time. The players are going to position them differently every time. And because of the way the bonuses work, which are random, uh, because of the ambassadors, which are slightly, there's more ambassadors than you need in the game. Yep. Okay, there's those personalities. That's going to be uh, a randomizing element. But all of these random elements are at the start of the game. So you have the ability to kind of look at the start of the game and see how this one's going to unfold, which is something I really appreciated about it. The only other random factors in the game are the dice chucking and the dice rolling. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of this kind of conflict style of game. And so if you're okay with that, I think you're going to find this is a lot of fun. And since there's a lot of things you can do to mitigate those dice rolls or improve those dice rolls, because one of the other cool things about the game is there's different colored dice. 
and the different colored dice are amped up or down in their sort of power depending on what they are. So like if you have a mobile headquarters, you're going to get to roll one color a die, which has all higher values on it than if you're trying to, say, um, defend or attack a card that's adjacent to the mobile headquarters. That's going to kind of like ramp you down in your die power. And so there's all these different kinds of things that you're going to be able to add in and factor in and calculate so that when you go to take that chance of rolling the dice you have a decent idea of, of whether you got a good shot at success or not. And so to me, the dice rolling while random, because the dice are all different kind of values, it certainly is calculable and it gives you something that you can kind of shoot for and you can make an educated guess. It's not entirely random like risk or something like that. Yeah. So, I, you know, that's those are all the things that I think are real positives about this game. What, what were your impressions, Lloyd? Well, I was fortunate enough to actually play this um, about a year and a half ago for Steven, when he was looking at it for Stronghold, I got to teach it actually at that game day that you and I went to. Oh, that's right. right. And uh, so I had a really positive experience with it that first time I played it. Now, I was trying to learn it on my own. Um, I believe I had a translation and a good translation from right. you know the, the, the Greek edition um, or wherever it was published. Yeah, and, Greek. Yeah. And even then, you know, I... I saw the similarities, but I also saw the differences between Among the Stars. Right. And I appreciated it for both of them because artwork aside, you know, cards aside, it's got this really cool aspect of you're kind of like in Carcassonne, you're building the board together. Yeah, yeah. And where you put something on that board can be really powerful, can yes. be really important for you. Or could turn around and end up being really powerful and really important for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the coolest things I like about it is you, you talked about using that mobile headquarters. And in most games where, you know, you're moving from one region to another on the board, you might have, like, a limited range. Right. And the mobile headquarters can go anywhere on yeah, the board. Yeah, yeah. Just... So that actually helps to propel, I think... The idea of this real in-your-face, it's very its its very much a conflict because yeah. I could have my mobile headquarters five or six of these cards away looking like I'm doing my own thing. And then on the next turn go, I'm going to drop it right here. Boom. <laughs> and Carter did that once or twice yeah, too. And you were yeah. just like, what, 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 what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After and he swore so, to me he was going to be peaceful <laughs> about it, he, he attacked me anyway. So, I mean, there there's some really interesting things. I love, like you said, the four cards, north, south, east, and west, yeah, yeah. that are put out at random, and those are bonuses that when you control a card, you control any arrows and the bonuses right. that are pointing out of those cards, and that's just a really, really neat little mechanic it that, sure is, yeah. that I enjoy about it. The ambassadors are great. They yes. have these nice little tokens for the ambassadors, so you actually know when they've been used yeah. because you you take the token off of the ambassador's card, you plop it on the part of the station you're using it for right. and then everybody can see you know, that ambassador's not up there. Right, yep. And I think there's also a limit uh, to how many ambassador tokens can be on a card. Um, yeah. So like, you know, you might be wanting to use an ambassador on a certain card, but because there's already uh, like one or tokens, two, I think yeah. it's like two or something. Because there's already uh, too many there, you can't actually use it on that card. So you yeah. have to like try and do something different. So I really like that about that. Appreciate that about the design as well. Um, my one <laughs> big kind of like real red flag about the game, the only one that I have, and, and I haven't played it enough 
to be sure that it's a problem. But I just want to kind of throw it out there because everything else about the game I like. I mean, I like the interaction. I like the conflict. I like the in-your-face nature of it, the spatial aspects, everything we've talked about. But when we played that one-time three-player, me, you, and Carter, there is definitely the opportunity for two of the players at the table to just beat the snot out of the third player, which was you. Which was me, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. You and Carter were fighting me. Yeah, yeah, because we, we kind of <clears throat> fought each other a little bit, but then I kind of talked him into, well, it's going to be better for both of us if we smack Lloyd around All right. than smacking each other around. And so you basically got hammered the last like quarter of that game, yeah. and you lost a lot of territory. You had a lot of uh, cards that you lost. Yeah. Um. Thanks. Because we kind of, yeah, we kind of, sw- you know, instead of uh, beating up on each other, which would have been good for you. It would have been great for me. We came in there and we beat the snot out of you and got all of the advantages that we could out of that. And so yeah. that's like my only concern, you know, like when that happened in that one play. And again, that was a three-player experience. When that happened in that three-player experience, I was like, huh, this could be a problem. Like I could see if it had been anybody but you, even if it had been me. I would have started getting a little pissy about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I don't mind getting smacked around a little, but to get stomped on by everybody at the table, yeah. That can engender some some hurt feelings. And so uh, you know, again, it's not a fault of the design necessarily. That's a table thing, you yeah, know. Yeah, that was totally cool. But yeah, it was <laughs> we'll, totally We'll blame the boy. We'll blame the boy, <laughs> but I I I was definitely into that as well. Um because, you know, you were kind of in the weakest position. And so we were like, well, you know, it's going to be easier for us to, to kind of smack you around. And so we did that to our advantage. And I'm a little worried that if other players had that experience, they that might really turn them off for the game. Yeah. So other than that, do you have any concerns about the game? Um, not really. Uh, there were some nice things. You know, the board obviously being a grid. Yeah. It's so large because of the fact that you can rotate those cards. Yeah, yeah. So the cards are adjacent to one another, but they're not touching. Right. So there's a little bit of space there on that board to give you that leverage to so rotate can, yeah, those cards. You can pick them up easily and move them. Yep. I like the way the uh, the board, of course, is portioned off depending on the number of players. Mm. So if you have two players, it's a yeah, smaller area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three yeah. players, a little bigger. And when you play with the full gamut, you've got that entire board wide open. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. And that's another nice feature of the game. Um, and it's nicely subtly done with yeah. just lines on the board. And then in the box, there's like a whole another uh, flip side to the board which is really cool that you can use where it restricts where you can place locations right Right. so there's like a military sector and an economic sector of the planet you know or portion of the planet and so it's a little more deterministic where you have to put those cards but you can kind of use that information to your advantage right and so that's really kind of cool as well so there's a lot in this box and there's a lot of um, variability in the game. There is a clean rule set in the game, uh, as far as I can see. Yeah. Um, it's it's a totally different experience from the regular Among the Stars game, and yet it's familiar enough that if someone has played Among the Stars, they've got enough to hang their hat on. Like, you know, th- there's a lot of things that are still going to be similar enough that they're going to be like, oh yeah, okay, I get that. Like, I, I see how that works. And so, for those reasons, this is a game that I can, I think, I can definitely recommend. Be careful with that three-player experience, though. 
Um, that would be my only caveat. You know, just be careful that you don't end up with like two players looking at each other and saying, well, let's beat up on her. Or let's beat up on him. Because no one wants to be the one getting beat up on like that. Exactly. Um, so other than that, I don't have any problems <laughs> recommending the game. Uh, beautiful production values. Although, you know, Steven, next time put something, you can grab those little stations, like a little <laughs> a little nubbin or something that you can kind of <laughs> grab that little nubbin and lift them off your sheet. Um, Even just a suction cup on yeah, the top of like, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, the production value is great. The art's great. Uh, even though I butchered all the names of the designers and the artists. So sorry uh, to, to all of uh, those uh, uh, wonderful people out there who did this. Uh, it, it's a fun game. It's engaging. I really did enjoy it quite a bit. And, uh, you know, for those reasons, I can recommend it. Just be careful with that three-player game. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Quick Looks. I want to, of course, thank uh, Carter and Lloyd for joining me tonight and sharing their views about the three titles that we reviewed. Burgle Brothers um, and uh, Lords of Zidit and finally New Dawn. Uh, all three of these games are definitely worth a look. Thanks, of course, to my sponsor, GameSurplus.com. If you are interested in any of these games, please drop a line to Velma over at Games at GameSurplus.com. Tell her what you're looking for and whether it's one of these great titles or another title, maybe a hard-to-find import. She's going to track it down for you, get it for you at a reasonable price, and ship it off to you super fast. So that's why Game Surplus is such a great resource for gamers and my first choice for online board gaming purchases. So find out why they're so special and why I'm so proud to have them as my sponsor. So for Lloyd and Carter and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening. Have a great night.